Welcome to the Hello Foundation's 15-minute podcast, The Strategic Cohort, showcasing educational administrators answering five questions related to their current position. We talk with educational leaders across settings and across states. Our objective is to share thoughts and ideas between professionals at a time when leaders can often feel isolated. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Strategic Cohort. so much, Mr. Stewart, for doing this recording with me today. I really appreciate it. I actually have been impressed with the length of your career, but also what you've accomplished during that time. Can you start by just sharing with other uh, listeners, which are other administrators in different states, what uh, your current responsibilities are in your title, both within the district, but also your volunteer work? So I am a superintendent of Gladstone School District. And uh, I've been superintendent of this school district for 16 years. Uh, we're a district of about 2,200 kids. And uh, I've worked in this district since 1980, so a very long time. And um, my career now is, uh, at the end of this year, will be 40 years. Because um, I worked five years in another district for that. Some of the other things I'm involved in... Um, I'm on a healthcare board called Care Oregon. It's a very large, um, essentially, it's an insurance company that uh, uh, handles Medicare, Medicaid plans for um, people in the state of Oregon. There's about 250,000 people that have their plans through that organization. I'm chairman of the board for Warner Pacific College. It's a private college in the Portland area. I also serve on um, Family Stepping Stones Board of Directors, which is uh, uh, a relief nursery, which is um, a therapeutic site for uh, children, babies through about six years of age, primarily from three years and under, that have experienced a lot of trauma in their lives, and it's a it's a place of reconciliation with parents and with kids um, to help kids get a better better view on life and. For the past uh, three years, I've been real active in our state association. Uh, I was president of the Superintendents Association in Oregon last year. This year, I'm past president. And we've taken on some major initiatives around um, trying to move the funding dial in schools in Oregon, which we believe is part of a formula for how we move the achievement dial for kids in our state. So those are some of the things I'm involved in. In the midst of what you're doing as a superintendent within the school district, what is your greatest challenge that you're currently facing? Well, there's, there's as administrators know around this country, there are so many initiatives coming at us um, constantly that are um, sometimes um, contradictory to each other and are certainly time-consuming and um, it requires a lot of energy around and, and so the greatest challenge is how do you keep your eye on the prize? In our, in our district, we, uh, we call that growing great people. That's our mission in Gladstone is to grow great people. And so how do we keep our eye on that prize that we have a really broad vision for what this experience should be for kids and for their families? And I think, I think the way that you get there and you um, can establish that and keep that as a beacon is to make sure you have those constant conversations within your community about what the hopes, dreams, and aspirations of both parents and kids are of this experience called education. And when we keep those hope, dreams, and aspirations in front of us, and our goal then becomes to exceed those expectations, then it helps ground us to what's really important. 
Yeah, absolutely. But that's hard to do. I mean, that's a challenge to really meet the needs of so many different interests. Yeah, yeah it is. It's, it's, it's a challenge, it's, and it's, but it's something that if you have constant conversation about, that, that you don't lose sight of that. It's, it's when you stop having the conversation that you lose sight. Can you share a success that you, you feel really proud about in school administration? Uh, well, a couple things. Um, and our district is really well known for what we do around early childhood. And uh, uh, several years ago, uh, we had the opportunity to buy a grocery store that was across the street from our high school. Um, we originally purchased it based on a kind of a defensive position of uh, a lot of bad stuff could go in there. Let's make sure it doesn't go in a place that is so close to our students. And so we purchased a grocery store and looked at all the possible um, things that could, that, how the grocery store could benefit our community. And we decided that uh, overcrowding at our elementary school was a major problem. And so if we could take our kindergarten kids out of the elementary school and place them in this grocery store and invite um, anybody and everybody we could think of that had anything to do with early childhood to the table to discuss what a vision might be for prenatal through five years of age, what might that vision be and who might like to be involved. And so that launched about a year-long uh, vision building. And at the, in, at the conclusion of that vision building, we had identified... Um, seven different partner agencies that wanted to be the initial partners that would live in that facility. It's a 38,000 square foot building. And, uh, uh, and we remodeled the building to, it's, it's a gorgeous facility. It doesn't look like a grocery store other than if you knew it was at one time, then you could see the outside of this building and think, yeah, that used to be a thriftway store. And uh, today there are 10 partner agencies there and about another 10 or 12, um, different groups that use that facility part-time to do part of their work. And so it's everything from WIC, um, and uh, they'll be um, entering uh, our program this summer, and they'll bring hundreds of families with them that will receive their vouchers at that location to a Head Start site with 80, 80 kids in Head Start, to an early childhood special ed site, to kindergarten with about 170 kindergarten kids on average, um, all living under one roof, a full health clinic on the site, with a full-time pediatrician that works out of that health clinic. And uh, so the, the, all these different services are available and we, and we attempt to weave all the different agencies into one common purpose of having kids ready for kindergarten. And so it's been really exciting work. It's, um, it's kind of a first of its kind. Uh, in, our, in our state, um, we have our first true offspring in a, very, in a rural community on the Eastern side of the state has now developed uh, a very similar site and uh, they'll open the next fall and uh, they're really excited about it and, and if we look at a lot of the stuff they're doing we can just see our imprint on that so that's that's been really interesting to do i just one other thing i'll just mention is that um i think a success that i've had also is that over these 16 years as superintendent i'm not the same person today that i was 16 years ago i've constantly learned each year, I've evolved. Um, I've learned how to motivate and bring people along in that involvement. And so it's a part of that is a personal journey, too. That's fantastic. Just such a testimony to, I think, what we really want in strong administrators is that evolution 
for what the needs are for kids. But also I think the commitment to early education, that's really a national discussion and you seem to be two years ahead of it. So it's nice that you're getting attention for that. So really you can be that model and show other people what it can look like. I presume you've had visitors and I know you've had visitors from different parts of the country to come see what you're doing here. Yeah, it's uh, at least on a weekly basis. Um, there's someone taking a tour of the facility and they want to know how it happened, how it came about. Uh, we opened in January of 2009, so we've just finished six full years of operation. So we've got a lot of lessons learned now. And so we can share a lot of uh, not, it's not just about a pretty building. It's about what goes on inside the building. And so that's the part that we're able to share. That's fantastic. And do you feel kids are more prepared for kindergarten? Are you reaching that goal? We are. We are. It's, it's actually pretty exciting. I was in a meeting just yesterday um, talking about a kindergarten prep school that we're going to start this summer. Um, we have a local philanthropist that's donated money to support um, kids that have probably not had any uh, preschool experience. And they're going to get a dose in the summertime with the um, integration of parents into that that... Uh, um, will allow parents to get some training on how to prepare myself as a parent for that ex- school, the school experience and being a good parent through that. And so it's, uh, uh, and, and what I heard constantly were the same language was occurring across all these different sectors and across programs. That's huge. Whether, whether, whether it was Head Start, um, and, and in a lot of places, there's a lot of competition between early childhood and K-12. And um, we've been able to erase that and, and we're all looking at the same vision. So with all this grand learning that you've had, what advice would you share with a new school administrator right out of the, they've been freshly minted and they're all ambitious? In these jobs, you deal with a lot of stuff and the stuff comes at you every day. And for the people that are really successful, they're able to define the stuff and not let the stuff define them. And so it's the, um, the possible conflicts. It's the day-to-day grind on things. Um, and if you let those things define you, where, you're, where your work becomes about those things, then you're going to have a tough time as an administrator. And that's why keeping your eye on the prize, what's the big goal, what's the big target, what are we really shooting for, finding that enjoyment around shooting for that big target, because the stuff is in all of our jobs. So my advice is define the stuff. Don't let the stuff define you. That's a, that's a great piece of wisdom. Thank you. So what, in your opinion, are the trends that are currently going to impact education in the future? Well, the, uh, the pendulum is swinging. And, um, uh, you know, we've had a, uh, about the past decade a, a more and more um, emphasis on standards and on testing to the standards and on um, uh, rating schools, rating teachers, rating administrators. Um, I believe that pendulum has swung as far as it's going to swing. And it's how, how far the pendulum will swing back the other way at this point. And how far it swings back will make the difference as to what, what, the, next, what the next chapter in education will look like. I spent um, two weeks in China a year ago. And my big takeaway, because China is often held up as this standards-based um, education system with kids that are learning at high levels and um, and I've been I've been around long enough. You know, I was a Sputnik kid when I was uh, a, a child, which was when the Russians were way ahead of the U.S. in math and science. 
Um, then it was the Japanese were way ahead of the, the, the U.S. And then, then it was, now it's China's way ahead of the U.S. But all along the way, all of those countries have come to the U.S. to learn about what we do in education that's really strong. And what we do in education really strong is that we look at individual children and we attempt to find the, the things in their life to inter, interest them and make it relevant for their experience in school. And that's where I see the pendulum swinging back to is um, that enjoyment in the education process, the relevance of education with certainly the importance of what kids learn has to be at the core, but it's how they learn it is equally as important. That is so well put. And I also am amazed in that same vein to the degree kids are vocalizing and advocating for what they want to see in their own education, which I can't imagine doing that as a young person. I mean, I had strong opinions as a teen, of course, what I thought I should be doing, but I think they have a more global perspective and really can help shape that discussion. Do you mind sharing? I'm going to go back to China, though, because you shared such a great story when you had um, an administrator from China visit and the bridge building his perception and what he was charmed by or, you know, interested by, I don't know if that's the right word, and how he compared it to what they do in China. Because to me, that was case in point, how we are different and why we're successful. Yeah. It, so, so the program was a shadow exchange program. And, and I had a Chinese administrator that spent a week with me. Um, I spent a week in his school and then um, in each of our visits to, into the different countries, we had about a week of seeing things within the country. So that was more of sightseeing kinds of things. And um, when he came to visit me, he visited me before I visited him. And, and uh, uh, we went into our applied tech center and um, we walked into the classroom, uh, the project where students were building balsa wood bridges. And the balsa wood bridges were near completion. Um, as a matter of fact, the next day they were going to be breaking the bridges by loading weight on them to see which bridges could hold the most weight or when they broke and then have the kids do some analysis of why my bridge broke when it did and somebody else's bridge broke at a different place. So there's all kinds of overlap of, of studies that, uh, that, that went into that project. Well, we walked in and he couldn't get over the fact that, first of all, if they were building bridges, why weren't they building the same bridge? Because in China, it would be one blueprint and all kids would build the same blueprint and replicate what they saw on the piece of paper. And secondly, that kids had the ability to um, kind of think on their own as to how they would go about building the bridge and what their logic was and why, why they were considering that. And he couldn't stop taking pictures. He, he took picture after picture after picture and, and he would, every once in a while he just turned to me and he would, he would, I could, it was very animated in how he would express himself in Chinese. Um, and it'd be interpreted for me that he basically, he was trying to understand and comprehend what they were doing and why they were doing it that way. And it was all very exciting for him. I learned later when I went to China, uh, that he had gone home and had written a position paper that he had presented to the national department of education about why it was important for kids to get their hands on their learning. Because if you go into China uh, and, you, and you visit different spaces within a school, um, I was in a, in a science lab and it, it, it was, by our standards, it was, it was very primitive in how it was put together, but there wasn't a child in it. In their computer lab, there wasn't a child in it. In their library, there wasn't a child in it. 
it was it was just these spaces and because daily they would sit um, at a small desk um, on basically a sawhorse and for hours and hours a day um, they would go through workbook after workbook after workbook and that was their experience so so this whole concept of putting your hands on your education was just very, very foreign to him, and but very exciting. Well, and what I I like the framework of like in China, you're going to learn the right way to do it. Here's the one way to do it. You don't need to explore. And here we're all about what's why did it fall apart? What are we going to learn from that? So hands-on learning, excellent. I have one last question, and this is more on a fun side. How are students different today than when you went to school? So, so the students in school are just reflection of the world, and. Uh, so when I was in school, uh, the world was a very different place in that homes were very different. Um, communities were very different. The status and importance of school and teachers and following rules and order was all very different. And so, um, so I, I, I was a kid that was in school during the Vietnam War. And so some of those barriers started to come down when I was in school because there were there were protests and walkouts and all those things started to occur, but still there were at the core of it, school was a, to, to families and communities was a really important place to be. And, um, and that's a big difference today is that, um, our families are so fractured in so many ways that kids get really mixed messages about the importance of school. And I actually believe that's our next great work in schools is how do we, um, not only bring the child along into that educational experience, but how do we bring their parents along at a very early stage so that parents can be better advocates for what the future will be like for their for their children? I was thinking uh, when I was in high school, it was only eight years, they allowed girls to wear jeans. <laughs> <laughs> so it's definitely a reflection of the world. Oh, yeah. That's a great way to think about it. Well, I so appreciate your time today. Thank you. You're welcome. If anybody has a question, I'm definitely going to say you're open to getting an email and hearing from folks because you're just a wealth of sharing and generosity. So I appreciate that. You're welcome. Have a great day. and Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you. Many thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Strategic Cohort. We thank all of our administrator partners for practicing quality and putting kids first. We are always seeking administrators interested in answering our five questions for this podcast. If you would like to be a part of the strategic cohort, please contact us at Sharon.Soliday at thehellofoundation.com. We always provide participating administrators a copy of the recording to share on their own LinkedIn profile.